Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 62 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media as we get set for the final week of the preseason and move forward towards week one of the NFL season. We'll talk about a little bit what happened in the game, the concern around the Giants off of week three in the preseason, uh, a new player, which is an old player, coming back to the fold and kind of look forward to how this division has shaped up. James, how are you today? I am excellent, Joe. How are you? Doing well. Dan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing well. I think Giants fans out there are probably not doing as well maybe as us right now. There's, there's <laughs> concern out there. Uh, you guys were there Saturday, the Snoopy Bowl. Uh, I mean, regardless of who won the game, the Giants, it, it felt like they came away with a loss. The offensive line, again, was a concern. It felt like Eli Manning didn't have any time back there. This goes back to the Buffalo game in, in the second week. And, uh, you know, we talked last week, guys, about is it early? You know, is it just preseason? Do we be concerned? Ben McAdoo seemed concerned when he guys spoke to you, uh, when, when he spoke to you guys. And then, of course, we're doing this podcast on a Wednesday. On Tuesday, the Giants brought back an old friend, James, in Will Beatty. Uh, your thoughts on the offensive line and, and your thoughts really on, on how they had tried to address it here with the return of Will Beatty on a one-year deal. Uh, the offensive line ha- has really struggled this preseason. And I-, I know Justin Pugh, I think, spoke on Monday and said, look, we don't really game plan. But that being said, this is a continuing issue. And yes, Pugh hasn't been playing the past two weeks, but I don't think you can pin everything that's gone wrong with the offensive line the past two games on Justin Pugh not being there. They needed to make something happen, and they made something happen on Tuesday, bring back Will Beatty. I didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody around the team saw this coming. But, you know, when desperate times call for desperate measures. And I don't want to say necessarily that they're desperate if I bring Will Beatty back. But clearly that was not something that was in the cards for six months that they decided they had to go do. No, it wasn't. And this seemed like something that wasn't going to happen. And, Dan, it seems like Beatty is going to be open to playing something other than left tackle, which he didn't seem too keen on maybe a year ago. Times change, situations change. He wasn't on a football team, so that adds to it. I mean, do you think Beatty can be an answer, the answer here? Or do you think the Giants' offensive line issues goes beyond maybe adding one player to play right tackle? Uh, yeah, I think it probably goes beyond just that. I don't think he's the answer that's going to magically solve all the problems, especially because it's, you know, it's more than one spot that's struggling right now. I think really what it comes you know, down to is they showed a lot of faith, obviously, in Eric Flowers this offseason that he can be the left tackle. I mean, had they not done that and they were open to moving him to the right side, they would have had a lot more options. But, uh, you know, you spend a top 10 pick on a guy, you want to believe in him, and it just hasn't clicked that, you know, I think a lot of people thought that second year, uh, Eric Flowers would take the next step. Now, granted, it's been a couple of preseason games uh, to uh, to totally jump ship, but I think that's a big concern right there because I think you can get away with, uh, you know, a little bit of a weaker right tackle, but if you're going to put all, you know, Eric Flowers, is that's our left tackle, that's the guy on the blind side, and he hasn't really lived up to the expectations there. So you bring Will Beatty back, he's not going to play left tackle. So, again, is he that much of an upgrade over Marshall Newhouse? And, and again, Beatty hasn't played football in almost as long as Victor Cruz and, uh, you know, obviously has to get into football shape before you can even talk about him, you know, taking the right tackle job. So, you know, I think this is a depth move. I think it is a sign of desperation a little bit because, again, this is a guy you, you know, you cut ties with six months ago and, and you know, wished him well uh, on his way out the door, and now you're bringing him back. So uh, I think it's just a sign that uh, this offensive line has more questions than answers, and, and obviously with the regular season fast approaching, it's not a good position to be in. It's not, no, and I, I think that's, that's probably a good way to put it. I mean, the fact that they brought him back, it, it's, it doesn't show they're in a good spot right now. And as 
as we look forward here, James, with this offensive line, um, do you, how, how big of a problem do you think it's go, it could be when the season opens? I mean, do you think they could get it together? And, and really what I want to get from you here, too, is Ben McAdoo's comments the other day. I mean, he... We're, we're still learning about Ben, right? We're still learning how he reacts to situations, how he motivates players, sometimes maybe through the media. We knew what Tom Coughlin did, and you can kind of understand what he was saying most of the times because it had been so many years of the same type of stuff, same type of reactions. McAdoo, it's all new now. What did you make of McAdoo and his concern that he took public? I mean, he didn't downplay. He didn't say, yeah, we'll be fine off on the offensive line. He, he basically said, we're struggling right now and call out the tight ends as well. So, one, do you think they're going to be okay here, or is this going to be a problem? And two, how McAdoo handled it? I think this definitely could be a problem for them this year. You know, look, they, they were a top-10 offense a year ago, and they basically had the same offensive line. But when you look back at all the issues they had last year as an offense, that really hurt them. Uh, red zone efficiency, four-minute offense, where they were unable to run out the clock and games with the defense. They had a lead, and the defense blew at the end. Um, short yardage, you know. They, all those things you have to run the football in order to succeed at, and they have failed miserably at running the football this preseason. They average less than half a yard of carry against the Jets. That's just not going to get it done. As for the way Ben handled it, you know, right after the game when they beat the Jets, he came in to the press conference, and he, you know, he called it like a gutsy win. You know, that, that was so, some sort of buzzword that the Giants were kind of using the past few days. But then he he really didn't respond to any of the, the questions about, you know, asking for a critique of the offensive line. He kind of went with, you know, well, I got to see the film thing. And my thought process was, well, if we're going to have 16 games in a regular season of him saying he has to watch a film before he talks about things, you know, it might be tough. But then on Sunday, he did the conference call with the local reporters. And you're right. He came out and he basically said that I, he believes they can correct these problems. But there are problems. And he did call it the tight ends, which intrigued me. He seems to be a guy who – there's been a handful of times this, off, this preseason where he hasn't come out and blasted a player. And a lot of times he doesn't even use the name necessarily, But although he did with Will Ty in this instance. But he seems to be a, a coach who is gently sending messages through the media on occasion when he needs something to happen or he wants to, to connect with a player. You know, going back to what, what Dan said about Flowers – Look, I understand that he struggled last year as a rookie at left tackle. And I understand that he's struggled this preseason left tackle. But people have to understand that you know these things don't happen in a vacuum. The Giants drafted Flowers with a number nine overall pick because they believe he's their left tackle for the next decade. They were going to play him at right tackle last year, but then BD got hurt, so they put him at left tackle. Their stance on this is, why would you have Flowers play left tackle for a year Move him to the right side, which offensive linemen in the league will tell you the footwork, the, the technique is drastically different. It's not like you just flip everything on the right side. They're two different positions. Why would you move him to the right side to then move him back to the left side for a guy who's already struggling on the left side as it is? So, look, if Flowers is another poor season, then, yeah, the Giants are probably going to have to sit down and have a tough conversation about whether or not this guy truly can play left tackle or they have to move him to right tackle going forward. And you know what? It's entirely possible that a lot of these fans who, who are ripping flowers are right, and that he is going to end up being a right tackle, and he's not going to work at a left tackle. But I don't think the Giants are in a position where they can just throw their hands up and give up on this, this plan. I mean, they, they drafted him number nine 
You don't draft right tackles number nine in the draft. So I think they have to let him play out a year. And I don't think Beattie's coming in to be the left tackle. I don't think the Giants should go out and get a veteran left tackle because they've got to give Flowers at least one more year before they have to decide whether or not they've got to give up on this. I think that's fair. and It's probably more of a long-term concern, right? Like you said, James, they're probably not going to make this change if they had to or thought about it this year. So they're going to have to kind of live with what they have for this year and move forward. All right, so the Giants' offensive line's been the big story. Well, Beattie's been the big story coming back now, but there was some good on Saturday night, and it has nothing to do with the score. It's the fact that Victor Cruz took the field for the first time in almost two full years. I mean, I remember being there in the building in Philadelphia almost two full years ago in that October Sunday night game. He went down. We haven't seen him actually in a game since. We got to see him. We saw him get open a few times, make a catch. Dan, what did you think? Victor Cruz back on the field for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I think it was about all you could expect. I mean, obviously it would have been nice if they could have gotten him a few more balls, but uh, again, with the way this offense is operating, nobody's getting many catches. And I think really the biggest play he made was the ball that he didn't catch, but he had beaten his man on a, a double move. I think everyone remembers that play, and Eli just couldn't get the ball to the outside where it needed to be because he was uh, you know, under pressure. But just seeing Victor Cruz line up, you know, beat an NFL cornerback, that's obviously been a long time coming. Uh, I mean, there's definitely still uh, some more to come. I mean, again, I don't think anyone ever expects him to probably get back to 2011 Victor Cruz anyways. Uh, but he certainly passed all the tests you could on Saturday night. I played every snap with the first-team offense. It wasn't like they were uh, sheltering him and holding him out of plays. I mean, he was out there. Again, didn't get a lot of action. But uh, And then the biggest thing is came back and practiced fully this week. So uh, no lingering effects, which I think is always probably the concern, where it seems like it's one step forward, two steps back from all the time. And uh, he actually had a, a long touchdown catch in practice yesterday. So uh, it seems like finally things are going in the right direction for Cruz. I think, you know, Giants fans, obviously, you know, you cross your fingers, knock on wood. Uh, but for the last week or so, everything's been moving in the right direction. And, and really, uh, with the season coming close, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's probably time to feel pretty optimistic that he can uh, get out there and, and then you'll see what he can do once he does. I think it is too, right? I mean, I, I was watching him run routes, watching him get, get open a few times. And, and like you said, Dan, he – he hasn't had setbacks this week, right? He wasn't sore. He couldn't. It wasn't like he couldn't practice. So I kind of feel that. James, do you think that that's fair? That it's it's time to finally, for Giants fans to let themselves feel that optimism that when they turn on their TV Sunday night, Week One, uh, he'll be out there, and it may not may not be the old Victor Cruz, but it'll be Victor Cruz. Definitely, I think that none of us know what type of player Victor is eventually going to be, but. That was a big, 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 big moment for them on Saturday night. That Victor Cruz got through a week of practice. He got on the field. He played in the game. He came out unscathed. Uh, you know, kind of a moral victory that he had that play where he beat his man downfield. He did a good job with that. Um, he had the one catch. That I, you know, Dan's right. You know, they, they didn't really target him as much as I thought they would, but he had the catch. He got tackled. He got back up. Look, this is the Giants have been waiting for this day for almost two years. It finally came, and now they can progress forward. You know, it, it was a big milestone, a big hurdle. I think he had to clear. They've cleared it now, so now they push forward, and they can finally try to find out what type of player he is. And I think with Cruz, anything the Giants get from him this year is gravy, and they've got to approach it that way. All right, so this is the week, guys. Victor Cruz, obviously, 
has put himself uh, in the mix where you know he's going to be out there. You hope he's going to be out there, but he's definitely in their plans as he gets through this preseason, gets through the third game. But this week, we're doing this podcast on a Wednesday. This is cut week. The roster has to be pared down. We have the final game against the Patriots. We'll get into you know maybe some players to look for and, um, and guys fighting for a spot here. But just to touch for a quick second on the cuts the Giants have made already and, and the guys they've waived leading up to where they are now at this point of the summer – the one thing that, that I noticed when I was looking at the list and, and looking at your analysis, guys, on NJ.com as they were coming in, you know, when guys like Cooper Taylor leave, Bennett Jackson, um, you go to Matt Lacoste, Miles White, Whitlock, all for different reasons, whether injury or just getting released or waived. James, and I want to throw this one at you, the one thing I noticed is, and the one thing that pops to my mind, is the, a lot of these guys were in the mix for starting spots last summer. Does it? Does it say something that the, how much the Giants maybe improved their roster and turned it over that these are the guys getting cut now? I mean, last summer, Cooper Taylor was in the mix for a starting free safety spot. No, I think it definitely says something. I also think that there may be a shift in an organizational approach. You know, you look at Bennett Jackson. I don't think he, he – I think Dan would agree. You know, he didn't look like he was 100%. Obviously, he's coming off back-to-back knee surgeries. But he was a guy who really never – got much of a chance, if any, this summer. He started camp buried on the safety depth chart. They kind of shifted him over to cornerback, I guess, a week or two ago. Uh, never really got his footing there. So he's a guy who you know, I think wasn't so much that it was just that he never got a chance to play, and maybe his health is an issue. With Cooper Taylor, I thought he had good moments during the preseason, and he stayed healthy, which has always been his issue. I just think that it's part of the Giants have added more talent to this back end of the roster. I also think another part is that maybe they just said, okay, we're ready to give a guy like, say, Andrew Adams. He's a guy who we'll probably talk about who's had a a really strong push the last week to 10 days. We'd rather give him another look in this fourth preseason game than give Cooper Taylor yet another look. Right, which which that may that is it. Maybe it is an organizational shift and and the different uh, ways they're going to go about putting together this roster. So as we go into the game, which you know I always think the fourth preseason game, very few fans that you know really sit down and watch unless there's a very interesting rookie or something um, unique to watch in the game. Like maybe Rams fans will watch Goff if he plays or something like that. But for the Giants, uh, this is always the game. I feel like a lot of fans kind of skip out and make sure no one actually of any significance gets hurt and then all of a sudden you look forward to week one but there probably are some positions here Dan where there are players fighting for a spot or the Giants probably have to make some decisions here based on are they going to take this many at this position that position as they pare down the 53 what are you looking for Dan uh, against New England on Thursday night yeah maybe I'll take a look at the offense and James can do the defense so we can kind of just bang through some of these positions. I mean a lot of them obviously are starting to become clearer and I think it's down to you know one or two guys for one spot uh, now that this first fifteen guys uh, have been cut so I mean obviously quarterback's not an issue. I would say running back uh, really starting to become clear that it looks like Andre Williams uh, has the edge over Orleans Darkwa and I think that was one of the the bigger questions all preseason uh, you know Darkwa didn't do himself any favors with uh, kind of being responsible for a blocked punt last week when special teams is kind of supposed to be his edge. And he just really hasn't gotten any carries all preseason. So I think the writing's probably on the wall there. Uh, wide receiver Tavares King has really kind of uh, kind of ended that competition in a lot of ways because he's the only guy who's translated what he did in camp uh, to the games with the two touchdowns against the Jets. Uh, you know, assuming, again, it always comes down to a numbers game, but assuming they came six, uh, I think Alec Roger Lewis, who had a great start to camp, might be on the outside looking in and, and obviously Cruz's return uh, impacted that position too because when we were 
making some of these projections earlier, you have to kind of prepare for the contingency that you might not have Victor Cruz, at least to start the season. Um, tight end's been just a, a factor of attrition. I mean, they're, they're going to have to go with what they have and actually really just hope Will Johnson can come back uh, to give them a little depth there. And, and offensive line, obviously the BD signing is going to you know bump somebody off that bubble. I don't think there'd be any tears shed for any of these backup offensive linemen uh, who get cut based on the way they performed this preseason. But um, So I don't think there's a ton of positions where it's, you know, you're going to lose any sleep over guys who get cut. I think the one guy that a lot of fans are probably excited about is Roger Lewis, and uh, obviously he still has a shot, and I think that, you know, it's a, you know you got one more opportunity. So, uh, you know, maybe he turns some heads on Thursday, but I think that's probably the, the main guy I'd be interested to see uh, as far as Thursday night and, and into the cut downs on Saturday. Yeah, Lewis – Wide receiver, before you go on, James, I always think wide receiver is a, a fun one for fans to watch, like when there's a guy coming out of nowhere, because, you know, every time the guy makes a big play, it stands out. Meanwhile, if it's a different position, it, it might be tough to really gauge it. But, like, if Roger Lewis makes a big catch or two, people will get excited about that. Go ahead, James. I was going to say, you know, wide receiver to me is a really interesting position because Tavares King is a veteran. He's a guy who's been in the offense for a year because he was on a practice squad last season. He's he said he doesn't believe he has any practice squad eligibility left. My gut is that he's pretty much wrapped up a sixth spot on the team because, you know, his experience and the fact that Lewis, while he's had a very good preseason, he hasn't, he's missed a couple opportunities to make plays in the games and he comes from a spread offense in college. It's a big leap, you know, to the Giants system. But when I look at the wide receiver group, you know, Darius Poe, Roger Lewis would seem like two, no doubt, practice squad guys if, if they get through waivers. They don't make the 53. But for me, the key is what do they do at Anthony Dable. He's a guy who, all, like them, hasn't necessarily done anything big in the games, but we see him in practice. He's clearly progressed. He's got physical skills, good size, good speed. He's made done some impressive things in practice. So you know, I wonder, are there three spots on a practice squad for wide receivers. I believe the Giants had two for a good part of last year, so I definitely think if Lewis and Poe, Powell clear, they would be the guys to make it. But um, you look at that, obviously, uh, I'm not sure if there's room for three, but you know maybe the Giants would make room for three. How about defensively, James? Where are you looking at maybe a numbers game, corner, safety? Uh, how do you think they're going to pair this thing together? I mean, I think the big names, it's all said. I mean, that's, that's kind of where the Giants want to be at this point, not to have to make that many decisions. But Based on this game against the Pats and all you've seen all summer, uh, what are you looking for as they try to figure out how to set the 53? Cornerback, there's some interesting stuff there. I mean, obviously, DRC, Janoris Jenkins, Eli Apple, they're all going to make the team. I tend to think that Trevin Wade will make the team as a fourth cornerback. I think, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Leon Hall, he's got a concussion right now. He's probably not going to – I assume he's not playing Thursday. Uh he really hasn't played all that much in the preseason. So he was a guy that they signed, and there was a lot of excitement about you know, bringing in a veteran, you know, Pro Bowl guy who, who to be the slot cornerback, but we haven't seen much of him. And it looks increasingly like they're okay with using DRC as a slot corner and having Eli Apple start on the outside. So I think Hall's going to make the team, but I think he's definitely – he's not a guy who's a lock that I maybe would have said he was a couple weeks ago. And, you know, but I think those are the five guys there. Dante Dion's had a nice camp. Uh, I think he's a practice squad guy at this point. You know, he's had some misplays in games. As for safety, another intriguing group. You've got Darian Thompson. You've got Landon Collins. You've got Napper. Hey, they're locked in. 
Justin Curry, one another guy who's been around the block for the Giants, missed last year with an injury. He's still on the team. He's making a push. I, I still think Michael Thompson, the fifth-round draft pick from two years ago, it's his job to lose, but Curry's there. And as we mentioned, Andrew Adams, undrafted rookie out of UConn, made a really nice push the past few days, but I think it's not, probably not enough to make the 53. Definitely a practice squad guy. Another intriguing spot in the defense, beside the linebackers, which we'll get to in a second, that fourth defensive tackle spot, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I don't yeah. either. No, go ahead, Dan. No, I, th- I think uh, Coleman and Milhouse, two of the guys who got cut yesterday, were guys we, I think at one point or another we both had on our 53-man. Yeah. So I guess it shows how much that was tough to handicap. I mean, Milhouse, undrafted free agent, was running with the first team uh, in the first practice. And you're like, oh, oh no, and Snacks was on pop. You're like, oh, wow, they must really like this guy. And then obviously, you know, four weeks later, he's the first guy at the door. So, uh, and there's always strategy. You can't always just take a cut and dry. They cut this guy. They must not like him. You never know what they're trying to do and sneak a guy to the practice squad and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, that fourth defensive tackle spot is, is definitely just a complete crapshoot. And uh, like I said, it's kind of funny that two of the guys who we were highest on are already gone. So it uh, shows that it's a little bit of an imperfect science trying to predict the roster. And, hey, they might surprise us and keep five, for all we know. You know that, that could be something that's out there, too. So you know, they carried five at the beginning. I think when they set their initial 53-man last year, they carried five. I think they're, I have them carrying four because I think they're going to have to carry seven linebackers because that's a group where you know, there's just a lot of question marks. There are. I mean, that, that's always what this time of the summer is, right? You're trying to pare down those question marks and figure out exactly what you have in I think we could wrap with this based on the idea of, of things changing over the summer. I want to get both of your takes on how the NFC East maybe has shifted or altered or maybe not exactly what we thought it was maybe five weeks ago when this whole thing started, when, when summer ended and, and training camp really began. For me, um, obviously, the big biggest news is Tony Romo out again and now Dak Prescott, and, and he's looked really good, albeit being the preseason, so... Can the Cowboys survive with him? I'm guessing they might be able to more than they have in years past. Uh, the Redskins won it last year. I think they're at least a solid team. And the other thing that's opened my eyes this preseason is the Eagles look like they're going to be, play, be able to play defense this year, which has not been the case with them uh, for a long time. I don't think they're really that good, and they're, they're limited offensively, but they're going to be difficult to play, I think, uh, with their defense. And and this, I just feel like the division is really – it's really tight, I and mean, we kind of knew that, but it feels tighter to me than it, it felt five weeks ago. James, how has the NFC's changed to you? Or has it? Maybe it hasn't. In terms of who's – look, I'm still sticking with the Redskins to, to repeat as division champion. I, nothing's really changed my mind there. You know, the, the Cowboys are interesting because you're right. Dak Prescott's looked mighty good in the preseason, and they're going to get Roma back at some point. But they say Roma's probably out six to ten weeks. Well, the first six games for the Cowboys – Giants, obviously, in week one, at the Redskins in week two, Bears at home in week three. I think Chicago could potentially be a sneaky playoff team uh, contender. Then they've got the Bengals at the Packers in weeks five and six. They, you know, That's a tough stretch. And if Romo misses beyond the, that six-week time frame, they're going to play the Eagles. They're going to play the Steelers in there. So Dallas, even if Dak Prescott plays well, they've got a tough early schedule. They could be out of it by the time Romo gets back, which I think would be basically a repeat of last year where Romo came back, but they had lost all those close games, and then when he got hurt again, it was over. The Giants, I, I kind of 
I had said on Twitter, or I think I said on the podcast, I upgraded my record prediction nine and seven. Um, I'll make my official record prediction next week after we get to through this uh, cut down day and everything. But I just, you know, that that the offensive line, it, the run game, it just bugs me a little. The Eagles, I mean, the Eagles looked really good last year, and we all know what happened. I think Joe's right. If they play defense, they're going to be a tough out. I still don't think the Eagles are going to contend in this division, though. I think they're going to be a tough team to beat, but they'll be third or fourth. So I'm sticking with the Redskins as the favorite to win this division going into the season. I don't know about you guys. Uh, they'd probably be mine, and I, I think we just have this. I, I think the last time a team won back-to-back NFC East crowns was 0304 with the Eagles. So I think there's this there's this tug to just say, okay, the team won last year. You have to pick someone new again. I think the Redskins might just be the best team overall, but it to me it's, it feels more even than it has in a long time. Like I don't know if there's a bad team. I don't know if there's a 10-win team in this division. Dan. How has your opinion changed on the division over the summer, or, or maybe it has? And what are you thinking as we, we sit here about a week away? Yeah, and I'm with the point you just made where it just seems so kind of muddled. I mean, obviously the Romo injury is the biggest thing to happen, and it certainly changes the outlook. And yeah, maybe Dak Prescott is like this you know, next big thing who's going to uh, you know, keep things rolling along or even better there. Who knows? But uh, I think if you look at this division, it, there's a lot of parity. I mean, it just feels like another year where a team's going to probably win it going 9-7 and seven or, or you know 10-6 and six at best, and, and everyone is going to be in that 7-9, and 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven range. Like, I don't think that they're – I mean, the Redskins won it last year, but were they 5-7 and seven before they got hot at the end of the year? So I don't think they're a dominant, uh, you know, returning champ that uh, is going to just kind of pick up where they left off. So – yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the Romo injury is huge, but it, this is going to be a tough division to handicap anyways. Like I said, I think it'll just be uh, you know, pretty tight, and a lot of teams kind of uh, in that, that mediocre category. Maybe someone pulls away late, to, like the Redskins did last year. It could be. And if that's the case, well, you know, even if the Giants have warts, which they obviously do. I mean, they just signed an offensive lineman this week. Um, <laughs> they're not going to be buried, right? They have enough talent. They have Eli. This should be a season where everyone's probably – like you said there, Dan, everyone's in it. So we have one more game. That'll be on Thursday night. We did this podcast on a Wednesday. And we'll be back next week to get ready for week one, talk about the game, predictions, season preview, the whole thing. Uh, so we'll do that next week. James, have a great um, week. Have a great Labor Day. And we'll talk again next week. You too, Joe. Thank you. Same to you, Dan. Have a good one. Yeah, same to you. Thanks, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening. Of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and uh, give us a rating there. It helps the show grow. SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, any way you want to listen, you can listen to Talk is Cheap. This has been episode 62. We'll be back with you next week to get you set for week one against the Cowboys and a season preview for the 2016 Giants.